Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, Columbus Underground reporter Lauren Sega sat down with Columbus Mayor Andrew Ginther, who's currently running unopposed for re-election. They discussed his proudest achievements as mayor for the last four years, his goals for the city during his next term, and the delicate balance of policing properly by enacting a variety of new initiatives. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, The Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored this week by Little Rock Bar. Little Rock Bar is located at 944 North 4th Street in Italian Village. With 30 beers on tap, Little Rock Bar has happy hour from 4 to 7 p.m. every day. Every Tuesday, get $3 draft beers all night. Wednesdays is Everybody's a Comedian, hosted by Travis Haywitcher. It's like trivia, but you prove your snark instead of smarts. Info, hours, and upcoming events at littlerockbar.net. Everyone's night should have a little rock. Enjoy the interview. So yeah, you've been in public office for a while versus Board of Education and mm-hmm. councils. How do you feel like being mayor has changed the way you've been a public servant? It's definitely brought me even closer uh, to the people of Columbus and Central Ohio. And, and there are many things I've learned. I learn things all the time because I screw things up pretty uh, uh, often because we're trying new things and we're trying to do things differently and improve upon things that we've done in the past. It's not failure if you learn from it. And I learn something every day as mayor. But one of the things I've really experienced is um, the incredible people of this community. Uh, there are not many places in the country you go where everybody is rooting for the city's success. Even people who don't live and work in the city. I mean, you have people who live in Dublin and Upper Ireland and Grove City, Plain City, you know, uh, that want Columbus to succeed mm-hmm. uh, and are rooting for us and want to do their part uh, to help Columbus succeed. And that is pretty unique for a community. Maybe more common for a smaller town, but not the 14th largest city in the country and the city that's gonna grow by another third uh, and region that's gonna grow by another third over the next 30 years. So that has been an incredible uh, experience because folks are consistently asking me whether it's mobility, neighborhood development, celebrate one, uh, and some of the other work that we're doing. What can I do? How can I be part of your vision for uh, making Columbus a better place where there's more shared prosperity and success? Right. Well, I know that when you were sworn in, you, you kind of laid out these priorities that you had. Number one, specifically being neighborhood development. Yeah. Since then, I know that you've rolled out you know, One Linden, the, the Glenwood uh, Recreation Center went up in the hilltop. Yeah. What kind of tangible, visible, positive changes have you seen in those neighborhoods since you were sworn in? 
I think a number of things. Obviously, um, significant public investment in infrastructure. If you look at it, infrastructure that's seen and unseen, because a lot of people don't necessarily realize the millions and millions of dollars we're investing in the hidden infrastructure and in water, sewer, and um, you look at the investments we've made into opportunity neighborhoods. So that's Hilltop, Linden, Marin, Franklin, Northland. You know, in essence, the third of our neighbors that have been left out thus far in Columbus's juggernaut success story. So you look at those and then you look at, you know, some of the social determinants of health. I mean, Linden uh, had the highest infant mortality rate when we started the Celebrate One work, quite honestly, before I was mayor. It is now not the highest. It is still way too high and we're working, you know, particularly looking at it through the uh, lens of race, the racial disparity. We've actually had infant mortality come below uh, we've met and exceeded our goal for reduction in infant mortality amongst white uh, infants, which makes the disparity even greater with African Americans. And so really being very focused, purposeful, and intentional on making sure that Celebrate One and all of our partners are particularly focused on going after that racial disparity at this point and doubling down on things that we're doing, particularly within the African American community. Right. And I'm curious because you're aware that the race is a factor, a big factor. Um, so what have you done specifically to make sure that black women's voices and perspectives and needs and experiences are considered when forming new policies? You're absolutely right. Uh, part of that is having the great leadership that we have with Erica Clark Jones. They are heading up Celebrate uh, One and having outstanding leaders like Priam Choksi uh, heading up our neighborhood engagement. Women who uh, have a feel for the pulse of the community, particularly of African American women and women of color, but also with the work that we're doing around our neighborhood health workers. We really have identified and recruited Primarily women, I think we've had two men that have become neighborhood health workers, community health workers uh, through the Celebrate One effort, but we go and recruit women from the neighborhood. So overwhelmingly, women of color, African-American women who have much more credibility, quite honestly, than me, the health commissioner, or other institutional types, but women who can work directly with other women of color in the neighborhood. And we also have engaged the faith community because oftentimes, Women of color that have an unexpected pregnancy, uh, they may be thrown out of their home, particularly if they're a, a teen and maybe couch surfing with friends. And so having you know a motherly or grandmotherly type within a congregation or a faith tradition within a community can kind of be that adopted mentor and friend. So involving them in becoming safe sleep ambassadors and working uh, with D. Malone, Malone, who heads up that workforce, has really made a difference. But you're absolutely right. How are we connecting with and communicating with African-American women is what we're really focused on now. And that's why we're expanding our home visitation program. Uh, and our hope is, in partnership with the state, uh, Governor DeWine has made this one of his very top priorities. And our goal with recommendations he's supposed to get back in the next month or so is partner with them. We have all the health systems working together. We've gone from an evidence-informed home visitation delivery system to an evidence-based. So higher standards that's been evaluated and tested in multiple communities that has been shown to be far more effective. The entire health system community and public health are working together uh, with women uh, to deliver those services, which we know are so critically important. You look at all the research and making sure 
those relationships start before baby is born and then continue afterwards, connecting with resources for high quality uh, childcare, early learning opportunities, this kind of birth to five space. My vision is for our community to become a national leader in the birth to five space since that work starts with Celebrate One and then leads ultimately to kindergarten readiness uh, at the age of five. So I'm curious, and we don't have to spend this whole conversation talking about mortality, although sure. you know I could. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm curious as to how healthcare systems are implementing cultural competency in a way that specifically addresses the distrust that Afri- the African-American community has toward doctors, towards hospitals. Well, I don't want to speak exclusively for the health systems, but you know, a lot of that work has been done uh, through the Central Ohio uh, Hospital Association, working with Celebrate One, taking the lead from uh, great partners like Moms to Be and some other other partners that we have in the community that are working directly with expecting moms, disproportionately uh, women of color and African American women in particular, and sharing that information with healthcare providers, uh, and that's why the the Step One uh, Coalition and, and partnerships been so important. It used to be we had for referrals for women who needed prenatal care, it was kind of a disconnected and under-resourced system. Now they can call uh, one number to get connected to a, a doctor, get in to see that doctor right away, uh, provided support throughout their pregnancy. Smart Columbus is gonna be, has been working very closely with the health systems and step one, uh, and we're going to be unveiling a prenatal uh, mobility uh, service uh, option uh, through Smart Columbus later this year. We're expecting moms are going to be able to access on-demand uh, mobility service options to get to doctor's appointments, pharmacies, access to fresh fruits and vegetables, workforce development, child care if they have older children. That's another way that we're working together with the health systems. Uh, the healthcare community and Smart Columbus to help women have healthier pregnancies and have their children thrive in their earliest years of life. Well, we know that what affects health, part of what affects health is perceived safety, mm-hmm. perceived safety in your neighborhood, in your home, and the way the city achieves public safety has been under scrutiny. Mm-hmm. What methods and techniques are should be used mm-hmm. to guarantee public safety. Um, in the last five years, Columbus police have killed several dozen mm-hmm. citizens, the majority of whom were black. Mm-hmm. I mean, just in December, two black teens were killed mm-hmm. in a sting attempt to uh, find armed robbers. Those techniques, Columbus police are standing behind. Members of the black community have rallied inside and outside City Hall to protest the killing of their community members. What is your response to that? Well, we take it very seriously, and and that's why we formed the Community Safety Advisory Commission that's made up of, uh, it's led by a former judge and city attorney and CEO of the United Way, Janet Jackson. It's made up of folks from across the community, faith leaders and other folks, some of whom have actually led some of those protests. and. Uh, and then others that um, have been involved in law enforcement issues for a long period of time. To look at all of our policies and procedures, we're working with independent consultant matrix that's helped look at divisions of police of other major departments around uh, not just uh, the United States but North America. And looking at um, how we evaluate, recruit, train, uh, and hold uh, our division of police accountable. My Top priority is to make sure that the division of police is responsive, uh, accountable, and transparent. And that's why the first major initiative that uh, I led was body-worn cameras. And not only have we implemented that strategy very successfully, uh, ahead of schedule, on budget, 
uh, by working with the state legislature in a bipartisan way, we now have what's being called uh, best practice, uh, a case study for transparency with both the Newspaper Association, the FOP, Republicans and Democrats putting in place some of the standards and requirements around footage of body-worn cameras. And we always knew that our officers having body-worn cameras would make the officers and the people that they have sworn to uh, protect and serve would be safer. And I think that has, has led to some good things. The implicit bias training that the chief, the former chief mandated and received national attention for. The ramping up of those that have the crisis intervention training, specifically how to deal with folks who might have mental health challenges and that uh, are going to need a different approach when law enforcement you know, arrives on the scene. Every one of our officers that goes through the academy now receives that training and we've made a commitment to have 50% of our patrol trained in that. So folks that have been on the force for decades and decades that haven't received it, 50% of our outward facing officers by 2020. And that's another significant commitment and response that we've made based on folks from you know, a variety of different organizations that we work with and meet with consistently. But one of the things that I've said, and one of the reasons that I fought so hard as we launched this national search uh, for a new chief of police is that we want a chief who's committed to not just policing more, but policing differently, using our officers in ways that we have not historically, more community policing. That's why I've expanded the Safe Streets program. And when you look at the comprehensive neighborhood safety strategy that we unveiled after the homicide spike in 2017, it is a much more comprehensive approach to public safety. It's not just a law enforcement, more police officers response. We have neighborhood health, uh, public health, the Department of Neighborhoods, Recreation and Parks, nonprofit organizations that are all working together to implement a comprehensive strategy to make our neighborhoods safety uh, safer. So you have neighborhood crisis response, the Violent Crime Review Group, expansion of programming by Recreation and Parks, and all of that together, I think, has helped us realize a significant reduction in homicides and violent crime. You know, we continue to expand this year. We're going to, based on council's adoption of the budget, expand the duration of that Safe Streets, the bike patrol program in the three neighborhoods. We've launched Shop Spotter in uh, the Hilltop and going to be moving that to the south side in Linden as well. That's a gunfire detection system that has proved very, very successful in Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Cincinnati, because we know nationally 80% of gunshots go unreported. And so it does two things. First of all, officers aren't aware of what's taking place in neighborhoods, and then the residents of that neighborhood think that police officers don't care because nobody responded because it wasn't reported. Uh, And so that's another tool to speak to that. But we look forward to the recommendations coming back from Matrix, from additional changes that uh, we can make as a division. And I know part of that is increasing the diversity of our police officers and firefighters. And that's why I charge the safety director to double the number of officers and firefighters of, of color and women over the next decade. And I think if you look at the last two police classes, in the last two fire classes. They were both um, some of the most diverse, but also the highest scoring classes that we've had in those divisions history. That's gonna need to, we have to do that over the next 10 years consistently and aggressively to uh, meet my goal. But I think we're, we're headed in the direction, the right direction. Mm-hmm. Those are great initiatives. Mm-hmm. 
um, police involved killings still happen. Is there a priority at all to establish a third party that would investigate these things? Because at the current moment, the police are kind of just investigating themselves. And I know that that's a concern that the community is. Well, and I think that's why the Safety Advisory Commission is so important. And, you know, we're going to look at recommendations that come from that group and from Matrix, and maybe there uh, is something that they're going to recommend that folks feel better about. There are some uh, folks that would like to see changes to the grand jury process. Obviously, that has to take place at the state level. Uh, And I know I've talked with legislators who have an interest in making that public uh, and having that process be more transparent than it is currently so that, you know, folks are held accountable based on what takes place there. It is very much, for a lot of folks, the grand jury process, grand jury process can be very secretive and an unknown process as to what takes place in there, how those things come about, and why some people feel as if there have not been accountability uh, in place uh, for officers that have gone through that before. So you mentioned that uh, the national search for a new police mm-hmm. chief. Um, you said that uh, you're looking for someone who will police differently. Do you have any specifics that you'd like to? Well, part on? of that is someone that's going to take um, the resources we have currently. I mean, at the end of this year, we're going to have more police officers on the street than any time in the city's history. There have been some people in law enforcement that say we should have a lot more officers, and uh, you know, we've hired a. A, a good amount of police officers. That's how we got to this highest you know, level. And we also have the most firefighters that we've ever had in our city's history, uh, which is great. But now we need to use our resources differently to better protect and serve the public. And so I want more officers you know, assigned not just simply to calls for service, but community policing, proactive community-based policing, the way that our safe streets, you know, ideally I'd like that going on throughout the city, not just in the the hilltop in Linden and the south side, but in neighborhoods throughout the city. And I think the the minority recruitment unit is under great new leadership there that has dramatically improved and increased the amount of candidates that are coming into the classes and that are sticking with it during the program because it's not just showing up for a test, it's an entire process that takes place that we need to be seen through that. And I think it's going to be someone that is committed to changing uh, the culture within the division of police, one that is uh, going to be willing to take the lead to have the division uh, become a much more reform-minded, innovative, and community-minded place. I think the culture of the division of police needs to be I think brought into the 21st century and needs to better meet and exceed the community's expectations of today. I guess I want to follow that up with like, are you looking at any other cities to model that off of? There are lots of, so Matrix has worked with uh, cities around the country. I don't think there's any one city. Columbus is, is different, it's unique. There are things that we'll probably take from several cities. And as I had outlined in our comprehensive neighborhood safety strategy, we took bits and pieces from a variety of different cities and communities uh, around the country to put together what we thought would work best. And I think we've shown some dramatic success thus far, and we haven't even fully implemented the the comprehensive neighborhood safety strategy uh, if you take a look at the reduction in homicides and violent crime. But we're not satisfied. We want to be the safest big city in America, and that means uh, safer for everyone uh, in the community. Uh, When you announced that you were running for re-election, you Mm -hmm. did so alone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're running unchallenged. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? 
Well, there are lots of, of, of reasons uh, to speculate. 20 years ago, there was a Republican mayor, uh, I think at least two members of the Columbus, Republican members of Columbus City Council and two Republican members of the Board of Education. This year, no Republican candidate for mayor, council, or the Board of Education filed. The Republican Party likes to say it's because of campaign finance and contributions and this and that. What I remind people, because unfortunately this batch decided to regurgitate the GOP's talking points uh, in their editorial here recently, what I just described to you, a Republican mayor, Republican mayors of council, Republican uh, school board members, all happened when there weren't campaign contribution limits. <laughs> so for the first time ever, we put in place campaign contribution limits. Some people argue they're too high, they're too low, whatever it is. First time ever in the city's history, we actually have limits. And more importantly, we have um, uh, historic exposure of uh, dark money in local politics. Before you could spend money on issues and candidates, as I had spent a get maybe uh, by the Koch brothers group back in 2015, and nobody knew who their donors were or how they were spending their money. And now in the city of Columbus, if you want to influence Columbus voters, you have to disclose where your money's coming from and, and what you're up to. Uh, we think that's um, significant and important. I would like to think that the people of Columbus um, believe that we're headed in the right direction, that focusing on affordability, uh, mobility, making sure that we do have the largest middle class of any city our size in the country and a nation's capital for upward mobility. We want to be the place where people are more likely to go from poverty to the middle class and beyond than anywhere else. Uh, and by focusing on opportunity neighborhoods and, and shared prosperity, that that resonates with the people of Columbus. Uh, I know we have a long way to go, and the things that I'm working on are not one-year, two-year, four-year initiatives. I mean, you don't bend a 50-year trajectory on infant mortality uh, in a couple of years. Uh, we are seeing some significant progress, and there's some highlights with sleep-related deaths and other things that we uh, feel good about and think we're headed in the right direction. Uh, but we know that's going to take time. You don't turn around uh, a neighborhood uh, like Linden when their population has been cut in half right. and the poverty rate has gone through the roof and your, your wages are less today than they were uh, in, in 2000. I mean, that takes time, you know, in the hilltop and the other neighborhoods. But they know that going from a land bank community to a land trust community is important to make sure that the 54,000 units that we're short of today, that we want to work with the county and suburban communities and the private sector to build, we want to make sure they're there 10 and 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. Last thing we want to do is invest all these resources. We've got a historic um, bond issue that's part of our bond package up uh, in May, uh, specifically earmarked for neighborhood development and affordable housing, first time ever in the city's history. I think that resonates with the people of Columbus and they support the, uh, the work we're doing, but nothing drives me crazier than entitlement. Uh, and I say that to my staff, my team, uh, and to myself all the time. Uh, we're not entitled to anything. We have to earn every day earn and protect the trust of the public and fight for our agenda. And that's why we're doing, even though I, there won't be another name on the ballot against me, we've got this uh, billion dollar bond package that is absolutely critical to a second term and our agenda for shared prosperity and uh, our opportunity neighborhoods. That's on the ballot in May. Uh, and we're gonna be uh, doing an unprecedented community organizing effort uh, to make sure that's successful and that we have the community organized around mobility, 
affordability, high quality, uh, universal pre-K, all the things that are really important to me um, uh, in economic development for the future. So uh, we're going to be busy this year, and mm -hmm. we're going to be out there talking to people about the things that that matter to them, uh, their families, and their neighborhoods. So what are your specific goals for your next term in, in building on what you've done in your first term? It, for me, it really... Um, the way I will measure success are more uh, people in Columbus uh, sharing our success. Are, are there more families and neighborhoods that have been left out uh, participating uh, in our successful trajectory? Are there more affordable homes in neighborhoods where folks have felt the squeeze and felt priced out? And are there market rate homes in neighborhoods where we're putting an unprecedented amount of resources and commitment into recreation centers, into infrastructure, into mobility options and mobility hubs. Are we uh, ensuring that more young people enter kindergarten ready to learn? And uh, are we continuing to grow this economy? When I joined council, about 70%, a little less, I think it was actually 68% of our general revenue fund came from income tax. But based on what's happened at the federal and state level, it is now 80%. So the elimination of the estate, the estate tax, the slashing of the local government fund, the uh, phasing out of the personal tangible in favor of the cat tax, all those things mean that to provide basic city services in neighborhoods throughout the community, people have to be working and they have to be working good paying jobs. That is gonna be a top priority for me as well is continuing to figure out this disconnect. You know, at any given point in this community, uh, you could have 34,000 jobs that are not being filled by people that uh, live here currently, and 32,000 people who have been looking for work for 12 months or longer. And it's not a perfect matchup. Some of those 32,000 are restored citizens, so they have criminal backgrounds and their barriers that they have to navigate to take advantage of those job opportunities. They might not have the soft skills, they might not have the technical skills, but continuing to try to figure that um, out. And I think one of the ways that we're gonna continue to measure success is there are a lot of cities around the country that have grown dramatically over a short period of time. We're gonna, we're gonna do that. We're gonna grow in the next 20 years, in essence, uh, the amount we did in the last 75. Atlanta, Charlotte, Austin, Seattle, the list goes on and on, Denver. How do we grow dramatically but inclusively? And that's why changing our incentive policy was so important because we believe that mixed income neighborhoods are the most important things. That's what define, in large part, what are great cities. And we know that great cities have to have mixed income neighborhoods where working people, seniors, and higher wage earners all have a place in that neighborhood. And so um, that's why the affordable housing, by the end of a, another term, I will measure success. Do we have a regional affordable housing plan that is being executed and being funded by the private sector, the city, the county, the state, our regional partners uh, to go after that 54,000 unit shortage? Because that's our shortage today. If we mm -hmm. grow by another third over the next 20 years, that number is just going to continue to grow. Uh, and we think this initial $50 million neighborhood development, affordable housing bond issue is that initial down payment. We know that it's going to take a lot more than that from everyone working together on a regional plan. Because affordable housing isn't just the city's responsibility. 
where the counties. Bexley has a role to play. Grove City has a role to play. Dublin has a role to play. One of the reasons I've been going out and visiting all these suburban mayors and their city halls, uh, not having them come to Columbus City Hall, is to have them understand that we want a new relationship moving forward. The cities that are thriving nationally and internationally are ones that are acting regionally. And so building that support around major issues, economic development, workforce development, mobility. It's one of the reasons we had over 200 letters of support for our Smart Cities Challenge uh, application from the likes of Morpsey, all the suburban communities, because they knew that if we became America's first smart city and Smart Columbus was successful, the entire region would benefit. Uh, and so that type of cooperation and partnership you're going to continue to see in a second term. Well, thanks so much for your time. You bet. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite elected official. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week. Thank you.